few plugs there I wasn't expecting. Dunking and the YouTube channel. And Reed took all of my jokes about the University of Alabama, so now I'm stuck. Uh, so yeah, like Reed said, I met the Navigators at Penn State University as a student. We did not have uh, the RUF ministry there at the time. Got plugged into NAVS, they discipled me, they trained me, got to do Bible study, and then after graduation, joined staff with the Navigators, went to the University of Alabama, was there for five years, came here in 2010, and have been working with the Navigators ever since. So I have really enjoyed working and living in Clemson. He mentioned my family, I've got a picture here. Uh, this is my wife, Christine, and our children, Olivia, Jace, and Ella. And tonight at the dinner table, we were praying about this event, and Christine said, Daddy's going to go speak at the RUF meeting. And Jace, he's kind of into gymnastics, he said, RUF, what's that stand for? Is that reverse underflops? <laughs> and I said, I think that's what it is. Uh, so, but then again, everybody who comes to a, the first Navigator meeting, they are expecting a club for sailors. So imagine every August as we recruit all these students, oh yeah, let's check out the Navigators. They show up in their boat shoes and find out they signed up for a Bible study. So I get it. The, the naming can be a little bit confusing. But my wife and I have been plugged in at Clemson Presbyterian Church since we moved here in 2010. I know a lot of you are plugged in there. In fact, we uh, wanted to bother Pastor Sinclair so much that we actually moved across the street from him. So we have enjoyed uh, getting to hang out with him. And so as Reed mentioned, we're going to be talking a little bit about outreach and evangelism, and we're in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read just a few verses. There should be a handout out there for you. I'm going to read Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And a little bit of an introduction here to this passage, what Matthew does is he summarizes a lot of the activity that Jesus is engaged in. So here in just a few verses, Matthew's just going to cram together all the things that Jesus has been about. And as we talk about this idea of laborers help wanted. I want to tell you, I am convinced that the college campus is a tremendous place to share the gospel. And we're going to see how Jesus goes about doing that. So let me go ahead and read this for us. This is Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Oh, I was going to put it up there. There you go. Okay. So we're going to talk about three specific items from this passage. First, it mentions what Jesus is proclaiming. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to unpack that a little bit and talk about that. And as Jesus is doing this work, all the things it says he's doing, he's drawing all these crowds. So what is Jesus' response to all the crowds? And then the third and final thing we're going to look at, Jesus says we need to pray for laborers. We're going to talk about what are these laborers and how can we become one of these laborers. Because as we look at this passage, there's a call here for every Christian, regardless of the location that you live, regardless of the vocation that you're engaged in, there is a call here for you in this passage. And we're going to end, after we talk about those three things, I want to go over three misconceptions about sharing the gospel, three misconceptions about evangelism. So let me pray, and then we'll uh, jump into that. Lord, thank you for this time. I praise you for these students who want to come out on a Tuesday night to hear from your word. I pray for their community. I pray for their fellowship here. Thank you for all the resources that have been used to draw them to this place. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to be laborers here at Clemson University, whether it's RUF, Navigators, or all the other ministries that are engaged here. Lord, I pray that you would send us. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's start here. We're going to talk about this idea of the gospel of the kingdom. So what does Matthew say Jesus is doing? 
he's summarizing all these things. Jesus is going throughout all the towns, all the villages, so he's traveling all around. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Set this down before I chuck it across the room here. Uh, he's proclaiming the gospel of the, the kingdom. Then he's teaching in the synagogues. And then it's really interesting. It says here he is healing every affliction and every disease. I don't know if you've ever hung out with people very much. You know, we have a lot of afflictions and a lot of diseases. So that's a lot. Matthew says, look, he's healing them all. And as you can imagine, as a result of that, the people are flocking to Jesus. But this isn't the only time it's talked about Jesus proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 1, when Mark describes Jesus starting his ministry, Mark 1.15 says he went around saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So when we talk about this idea of the gospel of the kingdom, we often will summarize it and we'll say, hey, the gospel means good news. The gospel is good news. It's the good news of the kingdom. God in Jesus is going to restore everything that sin broke in Genesis chapter 3 when sin came into the world. So we could summarize and say, hey, this is the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, this is a deep topic. If you talk about the gospel of the kingdom, you guys could do a year-long theme. You could do a year-long Bible study. We could unpack what does it mean that Jesus came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Well, let's think of some of the things that Jesus was restoring. He was offering them an opportunity to restore their intimacy with God, the intimacy that was lost in the garden when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden. They could no longer walk and talk with God. The intimacy between us as humans in the garden, they were naked and unashamed. There was no conflict. There was nothing that came between us as people. When sin entered the world very quickly, Cain kills Abel, and we see conflict, and we see tension, and there's no longer that intimacy that we experience with one another. We see sickness. We see death. Man has lost his sense of purpose. Once sin came into the world in the garden, Adam and Eve had the garden mandate. They were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to fill the earth and to subdue it. But instead, they got kicked out, and there were thorns, and there were thistles. Have you ever wondered, what is my purpose? What is my life about? What am I supposed to do? And here Jesus shows up. He's proclaiming the good news. He's going to restore that. What Jesus is doing here is he is going to undo everything that the curse has done. Every way that sin came into the world, and it brought sickness, and it brought death, It brought devastation both to our bodies, mentally, spiritually, everything. Jesus is undoing with the curse. If you think about everything sin did to the world, all of the things I've just mentioned, all the brokenness that came from sin, and if the gospel of the kingdom is going to undo all of that, we'd say that's pretty good news, right? That's good news worth sharing. I don't know about you, if you're the type of person that likes to go online and go to those deal sites and you find a really smoking deal, right? And maybe you want to post that for your friends. So if if we found out tomorrow... Best Buy was having a sale, 80% off all smartphones, right? Maybe iPhone is your flavor, maybe Android's your thing, I don't know. But you say, hey, 80% off, you can go get a brand new smartphone. You'd probably do that, right? You'd skip a class, you'd fill your car, you'd text your friends, say, hey, we got to go get in line, 80% off smartphones. You'd say, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Well, what if God, through Christ, was undoing all of the brokenness of sin? If he is offering through Christ, we, all we have to do is we bring our sin. You bring your sin, we get the righteousness of Christ. God sends his son. He lives the perfect life we couldn't live. Jesus dies the death that we deserved. Now, often when we share the gospel, you'll hear someone say, the good news is that Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died. This perfect, righteous man was murdered and hung on a cross and tortured. That is not good news. That's actually horrible news, right? The good news that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. If you had talked to the disciples after Jesus was dead, there was no good news. The good news came when he rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, declared victory over death, sin, and hell. And he offers to all who place their faith in him eternal life, 
He's restoring relationship with God, restored community, restored communion with one another as we are now brothers and sisters in Christ, a restored sense of purpose as you and I each have a calling to follow Jesus and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That is really good news. All you bring is your sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You've probably heard that referred to as the great exchange. You bring your sin. You get the righteousness of Christ. That's good news worth sharing. That's good news worth getting excited about. God was revealing through Jesus the plan he has had for all time to undo the work of the curse. And as you follow Jesus' life, if you read the Gospels, who was attracted to this message? It was primarily the sinners, the righteous, the people who thought they had it all together. They thought they were doing really well. They didn't really want Jesus' offer. It was the tax collectors. It was the prostitutes, the down and out, the broken, the despised and the shame that they were very attracted to this message that Jesus was bringing. So as Jesus is doing all this stuff, he's healing all these diseases. Naturally, he, he attracts the crowds. So here comes the crowds. They're coming to Jesus. I imagine the disciples, as they often did, would get frustrated by all these crowds. But what is the reaction of Jesus? He's been going. He's doing all this healing. He's doing a lot of work teaching. That's pretty tiring. But here come the crowds. They just keep coming. The more he heals, the more they come. Jesus' response, the text tells us, is compassion. Jesus sees them and he has compassion on them. It says that he viewed them like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know what you know about sheep. God refers to us as sheep often in the Bible. Sheep are pretty helpless. Sheep have really no hope outside from a shepherd. They are kind of like just a meal prepared for a wolf if they don't have a shepherd to watch over them. But as Jesus sees the crowd, it says he's moved with compassion. They're harassed. They're helpless. This word compassion is a cool word. It's only used of or by Jesus in the New Testament. It is something that he experienced. His heart was moved when he saw them. He's moved with compassion, which makes me wonder, as you go about Clemson's campus, what's your response to the crowds? As you see them on Library Bridge, as you're in the line in the dining hall, as you can't even find a table sometimes in the food courts, you see all these crowds. What is your response? And we as Christians, when we see people who don't know Jesus, we see the way that they're living their lives. We see what they're talking, maybe the way that they're dressed, the way that they're living. What is our response? Are we like the Pharisee? We look down our nose with contempt? Or can we see with the eyes of Jesus? And can we say they're like sheep without a shepherd? They're harassed and they're helpless. Who will go and who will help them? But you see, when Jesus sees the crowds, he didn't see an inconvenience. He didn't see more work to be done. In fact, it says that he saw a plentiful harvest. He saw a plentiful harvest. He had this good news. He had the gospel of the kingdom. So when he saw a crowd, he thought, this is a tremendous opportunity. The harvest is plentiful. Now, it's interesting. This is not the only time that Jesus talked about a plentiful harvest. My favorite story is John chapter 4, where Jesus ministers to this woman at the well. So in that scenario, Jesus had brought the disciples someplace they would be extremely uncomfortable. He brought Jews to Samaria. They despised the Samaritans. The disciples, you could say, would not have wanted to be there. They wanted to get in and out as fast as they can. But Jesus is tired. He sits at this well. He sends the disciples in to buy food. So they're in the town now, the place they don't want to be. And Jesus has this conversation with this woman. It's just a few sentences long. Then the disciples come back. And it says they marveled that Jesus talked to the woman. But none of them dared ask him, why are you talking to her? So they're peeved. He's talking to this lady. But they don't quite dare to ask him, right? And in the midst of that, they want to go. So they're like, okay, Jesus, we got the food, and they're trying to get him to eat. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. 
Now imagine they're looking at each other and they're like, okay, did someone bring him like a Wendy's four for four when we were in there trying to get the food? Because what is the deal? And Jesus says, I've got food to eat that you don't know about. And then one of the next uh, things that he says, he says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The disciples wanted to get out of there as quickly as they could. Yet here come the Samaritans. They're coming out of the town. And Jesus says, this is a ripe harvest. The gospel of the kingdom was proclaimed at a place like this. I remember the time that God burdened my heart for college students. Now, I want you to do me a favor. In your mind, just picture what kind of a car you think I drove in college. Okay, Penn State University. Just imagine what kind of whip I was cruising around State College, Pennsylvania. All right, you got it in your mind? You ready? Here it is. 1988 Dodge Grand Caravan, all right, affectionately known as Baby Blue. Now, this is a pretty good projector. You can actually see the duct tape where I had tried to cover all the rust as this thing was kind of falling apart. Uh, but this was my car. This was the day that I sold it for $300. I have no idea how someone paid me $300 for that thing. Um, the only point of telling you all of that was to say I was in my car late one night on a Friday. I was a junior in college, and I had driven my friend uh, back to his apartment. And as I'm coming back to my apartment, there was some construction there at Penn State. And so they had a detour, and I went down a part of town I had not been to before. I had not really gotten sucked into the party scene at all as a Penn State student. And I was now driving down Fraternity Row. So imagine a very long, straight road, tons of huge houses, fraternities, sororities. Penn State's a huge school, 45,000 students, a big fraternity scene. And so here I am, late on a Friday night, I'm driving down this street, and there I saw them, hundreds of them. The music pounding out of the houses. And here's the students stumbling around, walking arm in arm down the street, the way that they're dressed, maybe not the most appropriately. The things that they're saying that's coming out of their mouth. And here I see them. And just for a moment, I got a glimpse of the eyes of Jesus, of who would be moved with compassion. He would see them like sheep without a shepherd. Because I knew the things that they were longing for, the things that they desired, they would not find in those parties. They could not find through the alcohol. They could not find through the promiscuity. What were the things that their hearts longed for? To know God, their creator. To have a deep sense of purpose. What is my life about? What does my creator want me to do? To have intimate relationships, intimate connection with other people. They would not find there in those parties. And just for a moment, God burdened my heart with the compassion that Jesus has. And God used that to call me to be a campus minister. It's like, who will go and tell them? They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But as Jesus saw all these crowds, or as I see those students at Penn State University, the question became then for Jesus and for us is, who will go? Who will tell them? Jesus says the solution is laborers. He wants to have laborers. He says we should pray for laborers. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. Matthew's summarizing. Here comes the crowds. It's almost like Jesus called a timeout, and he gathered his disciples around. He said, okay, timeout, listen. I have been doing a lot of work. The teaching, the proclaiming, the healing, every disease and every affliction, and they just keep coming. Let's come up with a better plan. How can we reach the masses? Well, if the disciples were anything like you and I, they probably would think like we think. Think, okay, let's do a social media blast. Let's create a huge campaign. Jesus, why don't you write a book? We'll get a big bus, do a book tour. We'll go town to town. We'll get a worship band, a huge worship band, and we'll fill these arenas. Jesus, you can preach it will be amazing. We'll put it on the satellite television. We'll broadcast it on the internet. We're going to make sure all these crowds know the gospel of the kingdom. And Jesus says, I got a better idea. Laborers. What is a laborer? Laborer means common, everyday field hand. 
This is your average ordinary worker, no special skills. This is your minimum wage hire temp agency person. No special skills required. Jesus' plan to take the gospel of the kingdom throughout the entire world was laborers. And if I had been standing there with Jesus, I think I would have said, bad idea. How is that ever going to work? How are we going to get the gospel of the kingdom throughout the entire world if our plan is to get a bunch of unskilled people and have them be the laborers? Well, this was Jesus' plan. He would put laborers, common, everyday field hands, all around the world, and they would proclaim and they would expand the gospel of the kingdom. Now, this really came to fruition after Jesus' resurrection in Matthew 28 when we get the Great Commission. So Jesus died. It was a huge bummer for everybody. But then he rose again, and everybody was really excited. And you had all these people that he's appearing to. And in Matthew 28, it says Jesus sends them to this mountain. So there's a ragtag bunch. We had 12 disciples. One of them bailed. We're down to 11. And there's a few others that are there. Okay? Jesus gives them some last words. Now, it doesn't even start out very well. If you read the text, this is what it says. They saw Jesus. Some worshipped. Some doubted. Not a good start. Some are doubting. He's back from the dead, and you still are not all in on this Great Commission thing. Okay? But Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and this is what he says. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he does the teleport thing. He goes up to heaven. What did the disciples do? They kept staring into the clouds. And Jesus had to get all the way up there and say, okay, you two angels, go down and tell them I meant like now, right? So you read that in Acts. The, the angels come down and they're like, men of Galilee, why are you staring into the heaven? This Jesus who went up is going to come right back down the same way at some point. He meant right now. Go. How did the disciples do? Here we are 2,000 years later worshiping Jesus on the other side of the planet. Jesus' plan to reach the world is working, and it works. It is powerful. And the founder of the Navigators, Dawson Trotman, when he described the scene in Matthew 28 for the Great Commission, he said Jesus left the worst-case scenario, a scenario so bad that none of us would ever have an excuse to engage in Jesus' mission. Think about what they had. They were uneducated. They had no mass communication. They had no transportation. They were poor. They could not even freely go about because they were in subjugation to the Romans. Never again throughout all human history would there be a situation for the church so bleak as that moment right there. Jesus went into heaven, and there's a few men and women, and he says, I want to entrust you with the gospel message to go and reach the entire world. Yet Jesus' plan works. Laborers proclaiming the gospel of the nation, gospel of the kingdom, next door to everywhere. It's amazing. So in the next chapter of, of our book of Matthew, who would be the laborers? Jesus says, hey, I want you to pray for laborers. The next few verses, he commissions and sends them out. Who are the laborers? Anyone who's following Jesus, we are the laborers. Well, what are some of the things that might prevent us from laboring? What might prevent us from sharing the gospel? I want to share with you guys three misconceptions. Three misconceptions. The first one is, I don't know enough. And you just say, listen, I don't know enough to share the gospel. Remember, laborer means common, everyday field hand. Well, there's a, a number of things in the scriptures that actually debunk this misconception. The first one is, after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascension, the disciples begin to build the church in Jerusalem. The religious leaders don't like this. They haul Peter and John in before the council, and this is what it says in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What was noticeable about Peter and John was not their education, it was not their skills, they had been with Jesus. Two other stories from the scriptures that I think really debunk this myth. John chapter 4, I already mentioned it. you got this woman at the well. She has a few sentences with Jesus, proceeds to drop her water pot, run into the town, and she's grabbing everybody that she can. And she's saying, you've got to meet this man. Come meet this man. Could he be the Messiah? And all these people are coming out. And then if you follow John chapter 4, after Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Look, the field is white for harvest. He says all those things. Where the next verse says, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's message that, he, that Jesus had told her everything. Think about that. She knew nothing. And God used her to reach all the Samaritans. Mark chapter 5 is probably another one of my favorite stories. Jesus heals the crazy demoniac. What kind of a state was he in? He's chained, he's naked, he's cutting himself, he's screaming all the time, he's filled with a thousand demons. Jesus shows up, miraculous healing, and all of a sudden he's clothed in his right mind. He wants to come with Jesus. In Mark 5.19, Jesus says, no, go home to your family and friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. It says he goes. He had less than an afternoon with Jesus, and he goes and begins to proclaim throughout all the five cities how much Jesus had done for him. This idea that I don't know enough doesn't really cut it. And my challenge to you would be this. If this is something that is keeping you from sharing the gospel, my challenge would be, what are you going to do about it? If you're saying, I don't know enough to go and share, is that going to be your excuse five years from now? Or would you say, you know what, why don't I learn? Why don't I practice? Why don't I get with somebody who knows how to share the gospel? Why don't we go out and and try it? Don't let this be your excuse. And I would say this about Clemson. I have not been to a better place to share the gospel. I don't know if you know this. Clemson students are super friendly. Even the ones who have no interest in Jesus, the worst we tend to get is no thank you. Clemson students are friendly. This is a great place to practice, to ask questions, to begin to learn how to share the gospel. Misconception number two, people already know the gospel. We live in the Bible Belt. You might be saying to yourself, listen, I think people know about Jesus. Well, it's interesting. When we do our outreach and a lot of the evangelism we do with the navigators, we do a spiritual interest survey. And so we'll ask students nine spiritual questions. One of those questions is, if God said to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Do you know what the vast majority of Clemson students say? Probably 90% plus. They'll say, because I've tried my best. Whether they grew up in church or not, they tend to say that. They're relying on their works. They're saying, if I have to stand before God, I want to, I want to be able to say, I've tried my best. And then I always ask them, do you think that will be good enough? And they go, well, I hope. They haven't heard the gospel. They haven't heard that it's Christ and his righteousness alone that gives us a, a chance to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if this is your excuse, if you think people really know, let me just challenge you. Go out and and confirm or find out that that is not true. Do some spiritual interest survey. Have some questions with peers in your classes and with your uh, apartments or in your dorms. Most people here are relying on their good works. Okay, last excuse. We will be bothering people. Now, I got to say about this one, that is a legitimate possibility. Legitimate possibility that we might actually be bothering people. So uh, for my job with the Navigators, I have to do fundraising, and that's not always the most comfortable thing. You call people, you ask them to consider supporting your ministry. And I remember years ago, I had to come to the conclusion. This is my 15th year on staff with the Navigators. Years ago, I came to the conclusion, if Jesus asked me to do something, I'm not going to feel bad or apologize for following Jesus. Yes, it might make people feel uncomfortable. When it comes to the Great Commission, If Jesus is calling us to be laborers, if he's calling us to reach the world, 
let's not apologize if people don't love what we have to do. I don't think we are going to be bothering people. Paul said this in Galatians 1.10. He said, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Well, the example I would use on this one too is if you saw a friend and he was walking on a train track and he had his AirPods in and he was just jamming out to some music and here comes the train and in that moment you'd be like, well, I think that is one of his favorite songs and I don't want to bother him. And you, but then you're kind of envisioning the mess that's about to occur if this train makes contact. But yet when it comes to the lost, how much greater danger are they in than physical death? 1 John 5, 11, and 12 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Well, just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine, one of our NAV students, and I were on campus doing some outreach, doing some evangelism, and we met a student who was an atheist. He was extremely nice about it. We had a great conversation, but at the end he said, let me ask you this. Do you think I'm going to hell? And I thought, well, no one's ever asked me that. I appreciated that he was willing to ask me that. What he wanted us to say was to confirm that we actually believe that. We, we shared a few things with him, but at the end of the day I said, we wouldn't be out here doing this if we thought otherwise. That is the reality, that apart from Christ, there is no hope. And I would say this on this, the best way to not bother people is to ask questions and legitimately be concerned about their answers. So we do that spiritual survey method that I've uh, mentioned, and we're just asking questions. What church did you grow up in? What do you think about God? What do you think happens after we die? And you're asking all these questions, and if you legitimately care what people think, all of their guard will come down. And we get to the very end and we say, hey, are you interested to hear what we think, what the Bible says about some of those things? And a lot of times we have an opportunity to share. We've had many students on this campus actually thank us for the method that we use because they're used to kind of the street preacher kind of shoving the gospel down people's throat. I really don't recommend that method. I think we can do a lot better than that. I don't think it has to be true that we are bothering people. So Matthew chapter 9, just to summarize, Jesus came to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He was drawing all of these crowds. He saw a plentiful harvest. I believe we have a plentiful harvest here at Clemson University. The solution, he said, pray for laborers. Would you pray for laborers here at Clemson? Would you become one of those laborers that God can use you both here and wherever he sends you after college? Let me pray for us. Lord, I do pray for the harvest here at Clemson. I pray and ask that uh, you would use us, use the navigators, use these other ministries, Lord. Would you burden our hearts for the people that you have placed around us, that we could share uh, truths of the Scripture. Pray that the gospel of the kingdom would advance here. Pray all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.